Welcome to the Average Saint Podcast, where we help the average saint live out their extraordinary calling in Jesus Christ. This is episode 30. We've got a special podcast, a panel discussion today, on the topic of being in jail for Jesus. Recently, we've seen unprecedented actions taken by authorities in arresting and imprisoning pastors in our province. James Coates, Tim Stevens, Arthur Pulowski were all thrown in jail for opening their churches and not complying with Alberta health restrictions. Debates have erupted regarding the faithfulness of these men, questioning if this is in line with Christ and his gospel. A recent article in the Calgary Herald went so far as to charge these men with blasphemy, claiming that their illegal behavior damages the church far more than any health restrictions ever could. That is a serious accusation. It echoes of cries from the Sanhedrin. So, have these pastors been jailed for their faithfulness to Jesus, or are they sinning? Have they been jailed for being threats to the public good, or have they been jailed for obeying Christ above all? Today, I'm joined by several average saints, Tim, Ben, Seth, and Russ. Brothers, I'm very glad to have you here on the show with me today. We've got four questions to talk about. we got, first of all, who are these guys? Uh, second question is, are they obeying Jesus? And the third question is, who else has ended up in jail for Jesus? And the last question is, why does this actually even matter? So who are these guys? Listen, listen let's start with Arthur. Yeah, let's start with Arthur. He's, he's been the most uh, flamboyant. His arrest was the most... But at the same time, actually, I, how, do, how do you parse that? I think my support for Arthur is more qualified than it is for the other brothers. And right. um, part of that, I think, has to do with that one arrest, mm -hmm. uh, the one that was sort of publicized that showed him being dragged through the streets and whatnot, that there was more to that than was apparent on the rebel mm -hmm. media coverage of it. <clears throat> so... If I understand correctly, he's, you know, he hammed it up a bit. Like he made a bit of a spectacle to go out kicking and screaming yeah. kind of thing when it didn't need to be that way. And I, I can't get behind that. Right. You know, the, the arrest, the <clears throat> keeping the church open, all of those things I understand. But I, I don't, you know, to the extent that he's taking that approach, I, my support falls short of, of yeah. those, those types of maneuvers. Well, he's definitely less restrained, right? So we got Arter, who is the pastor of, I think it's Street Church mm -hmm. or yeah. Adelam, Cave of Adelam. And then we got James Coates, uh, pastor of Grace Life Church. And then we have Tim Stevens, pastor of Fairview Baptist. And so, yeah, I mean, James and uh, Tim Stevens, these guys are much more restrained than Arter. And I don't know much about Arter, but I know the other two guys personally. And uh, I know that they're faithful men of God who've been proven with years of ministry experience. And I happen to know what they believe. So, yeah, I, I could definitely give them a thumbs up, too. But what I found interesting about Arter, I was doing some research, and uh, I didn't realize, but he was actually the pastor that went to jail for serving the homeless in Calgary. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah and so that was, what, like five, six years ago? Something like that? 
I don't know if it was that long ago. It wasn't that even that long ago, right? So why why was he arrested? Like, how does that fit together? What was the crime? There was no COVID then. Well, it was interesting. I don't know exactly what the charges were. You'd have to look it up. But in his words, uh, on a documentary that's out on YouTube, if you want to get it, he uh, was saying that the reason why the authorities were giving him a problem is because he was actually drawing away the homeless from the government-sponsored shelters. And so ultimately, you know, they weren't getting the funding that they needed. And so they didn't like the fact that Carter was doing that. And so there was a lot of heat around that, mostly political rather than anything legal. So I don't know what they cooked up, but that that's an interesting angle. So he is he's definitely a firebrand for sure. Um, either way, I don't know the guy, but I do know that he's in jail or was in jail for opening up his church. Mm. Yeah, same. I didn't. I, <clears throat> I started doing a bit. I saw that documentary it looks like there's actually a few of them but yeah um i don't know anything about him Um, you know i guess he was a businessman came here yes well judging on his age and his accent he probably came like he was probably in poland before the fall of communism in poland right like before that uh, was that labor movement that um solidarity that kind of Brought, brought down communism in Poland. But, mm-hmm. but he looks like he's old enough that he was probably there during that time. So I guess maybe that's also why he's yeah. fired up because he, mm-hmm. he connects these things, right, in ways that people who were born in a free country yes. don't. Yes, absolutely. Well, he does actually mention that in some of his interviews where it's like he remembers this when he was a kid. So the name of the documentary is Street Advocate. If you want to take a look. And this was actually filmed like five years ago. Hmm. And uh, I think it was actually filmed by one of his buddies back in Europe. It, it, it's actually not bad. It's it's pretty good. So Arter is a firebrand. And then we've got mild-mannered <laughs> Tim Stevens, who is surrounded by a SWAT team, no less, and still stands his ground with his family as he's being arrested. Yeah. And then we have James Coates, who uh, actually takes the initiative to turn himself in. So we've definitely got different personalities, but we've we've got men who are being put in jail. And the question is, is are they being put in jail for Jesus or are they being put in jail because they're threats to society? Which leads sort of to the next question. But did you guys want to say anything else about these guys? I met Tim actually um, when our church plant was pretty new. He mm-hmm. was like brand new to the faith. And he came and visited our church when we were like, I don't know, 40, 50 people. And um, and I don't remember it at all. And then I had somebody a few years later come from Ontario and walked up to me in the service and said, Tim Stevens says hi. And I, <laughs> I had no idea. Could remember who, who he was. But I've been talking talking with him and his brother um, recently and just kind of reminding me that of them. But he was he was brand new, like brand new believer. When mm-hmm. I I heard about uh, his a little bit of his background on. I think he was on, right in cross politics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, so he late convert. He and his wife, or he grew up in a Christian home. His wife grew up in a you know typical nominal Roman Catholic home. Yes. And uh, and then one day he come somebody sends him Paul Washer's, uh, you know, Shocking some youth message. That's right. Yeah. Shocking Shocking and it, and message it that rattles him. I do another uh, one. Yeah, <laughs> it rattled him into a conversion experience, and then and that that's uh, and then he you know I guess I guess he's been influenced a lot by Bodhi uh, yes. Bodhi Barkham as well, and that's who he credits his beard. 
<laughs> good, yeah. But uh, his kids, like his yeah. his his wife and yeah, great marriage. Five to kids or something, right? <laughs> yes, uh, he has no, way more. more than five I think kids. it's like eight. I think he's approaching eight the, eight, to the eight range. Yeah, yeah he's, he's got a newborn, right? Yeah. Eight, number eight, and so yeah, he's you know he's putting in his uh, putting in his hours now. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Amen. And then we've got James Coates. Who, you know, somebody actually said to me, they said, you know, you really need to distance yourself from this guy because he's a bad influence. I said, well, he's my friend. And, uh, <laughs> and I, and I what said, what does that say about you? Right. And I, and I guess, <laughs> I hope it's, you know, not a bad, uh, a bad rap on, uh, on James. But the reality is, is that, uh, you know, Coates was educated uh, at the Master Seminary. Uh, I think he's been in Edmonton for eight years or something like that, uh, pastoring that church faithfully. You know, that church has grown uh, exponentially, uh, not just under his ministry, but even over the last year. Faithful man of God. I knew James before he was converted. And to see the transformation that God wrought in his life was incredible to see because we were separated for 14 years. Uh, and then I met him again providentially when I was here in Alberta. And I was So he's in Ontario? Yeah. So don't hold that against us, but I mean, you I know, Tim came from Ontario too. Yeah. So all yeah. these Ontario guys, eh? Yeah. Infiltrating the West. We just, we're just in an exodus. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to escape. But anyway, so you got faithful men and here, all of them share one conviction. And that conviction is that Jesus is head of the church and he brooks no rivals. And his authority over the church, over her mission, uh, over her doctrine, uh, over her ministries is completely and utterly uh, absolute. Mm-hmm. You guys want to add anything to that? I think that's how we can sum up these three guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then the question becomes, you know, are they obeying Jesus? Now, this article that I mentioned in the introduction... This guy by the name of uh, Roy Matheson, I I don't know him personally, but he was quoted in this article. And he said this, if the authorities were asking us to deny our faith or to go against the principles of scripture, we would need to obey God rather than the government. This, however, has not been the case in the current situation. Health restrictions placed upon us still allow us to worship God and follow all the essentials of our faith. So let's discuss that quote for a little bit as we answer this question, are these guys obeying Jesus? Because uh, he's arguing, obviously, that, uh, you know, the current situation allows us to fulfill our essentials of our faith. So do the health restrictions placed on us actually allow us to fulfill the essentials of our faith? What do you think? Well, if I were to be Matheson, my question would be, how so? Mm. And please define to us what it means to worship God and follow all the essentials of our faith. Right. If the restrictions aren't keeping us from doing that. Right. I mean, that would be my question. Yeah, it seems like he means the essentials of our individual faith. Because mm. he would be right. That's a good qualifier. Completely divorced from the church, right? That's a very good qualifier. An yeah. individual faith. Yeah. Can someone get saved during COVID restrictions? Yes. Yeah. Can we listen to a sermon online and, and be edified and grow in our knowledge of Christ and his word? Yes, we can. Yeah. But the rest of it, which is, you know, there's we have no example of what it is to really be a Christian apart from the context of local church and scripture. Mm. And so 
I think he, he can get away with it by that, by that, but clearly he doesn't. So narrowly defined, yes. Mm-hmm. But broadly and biblically, let's tease that out a bit. What else do you guys think? I wonder why Ray Matheson thinks he should be paid as a pastor of congregational life. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I guess it does sound funny when I say it. Uh, but why he should be paid if all, if the essentials of the faith, as you said, are personal. Right. And we can he... do from our house. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there doesn't need to be Maybe that's why he's retired. I don't know. Ooh. He still works there. He's still listed as uh, Is he really? on staff. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this in terms of, like when people say we're not, and I'm just sort of teasing this out, we're not, they're not restricting our ability to, they, they're not asking us to deny our faith. Mm-hmm. And like if we think about that in the context of, of marriage, someone can get you to compromise in a series of ways, right. but they're not asking you to get divorced. Ooh. But you just compromise in a series of ways. And mm-hmm. and so it's it seems silly to say that the only line that matters is someone holding a gun to your head, demanding that you deny the risen Christ. Right. That that's the only thing that matters. Right. And as long as they haven't done that, because I would guess, and again, I'm not, that in China, there's, that's not what happens that often. No. No. But doesn't it seem like that's like in their mind, the red line? Probably. Yeah. Almost like nothing else really matters until you get to that point. Mm-hmm. Like we can, we can comply ish. Until we get to the point to somebody actually literally has a gun to our head. Right. Which mm-hmm. likely won't happen. Right. Well, and, and that begs the question, when does that ever happen in Scripture? And when does that ever happen in the history of Christianity? Very rarely. Well, and, and even more rare is it when it happens explicitly because of the gospel. Right. You know, so like, you know, the chances are it would happen in this context Hopefully not, but in the next few years, right? A gun to your head, you know, because you're a homophobe. Right. It won't be because, like, you'll have to tell, like, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, just wait. I want to, you know, like, if I'm going to go out like this, I want it has to be martyrdom, right? So just let me tell me that you're killing me because of my love for Jesus. Right, right, right. You know, it won't ever be like that. Right. Or a gun to your head because you're anti-vax. Right. 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 Yeah, it's always something else that's tied to a individual faith mm-hmm. but and, and this is where i think that the problem comes in because you have this insanely narrow version of christianity where it becomes completely individualized and you can literally keep christianity in your back pocket and you can pull it out when it's convenient but that's not a biblical robust mm-hmm. faith at all i mean the faith in christ confessing him as lord means he's lord lord over every sphere He's Lord over our home life. He's Lord over our social life. He's Lord over our recreational life. He's Lord over absolutely every sphere, our vocational life. And so we aim to please him in all of these aspects by, well, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, right? Mm -hmm. And then according to that, we actually get persecuted, not necessarily for the sake of the kingdom, although that's tied to it, but we get persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Because of righteousness. Yeah. Well, how much of this is is a consequence. I mean, even for the, for these brothers that are opening their churches that are asserting, um, the Lordship of Christ over not only the church, but over, uh, everything, right. That a, a lot of, uh, especially, you know, James has been quite vocal about this in particular, that what's happening right now is unjust, mm. right. That locking up healthy people is unjust according to God's word. Amen. Right. So it's not just, 
we're not allowed to worship. It's Herod, what you're doing is wrong. You cannot have your your stepdaughter, right? Or right. your your sister in law. Because it's unrighteous. Yeah, mm-hmm. But it's unrighteous. So that and and if you look, these are the guys that are getting picked up by the police, the ones that are speaking out publicly, right? That's right. And we know that there are lots of other churches that are that are operating similarly. But my question is, how how much have we brought this on ourselves? Because prior to COVID, the church was not operating as though Jesus is Lord over all things. Exactly. When they put the bubble zone law up around the clinic, we stopped going. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. We didn't we didn't say Jesus is Lord, we're going no matter what. Mm-hmm. Right? Isn't that a similar thing? Yeah. Right? There when when they started saying, you know, when they said we're uh, taking prayer out of schools when they said um, you're not allowed to, you know, bring, you know, speak about Jesus in schools. All, all of these other things like we we didn't buck the way we bucked about this. And and fair enough, because now it's come to the heart of the matter, because now they're they're inside the sanctuary dictating the terms of worship. Yeah. Right. But I'm just wondering, you know, if we, if we step back and look at guys like Matheson and people who are reacting that way right now. That narrow frame of Christianity that they're operating within, from which they're saying you're 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 beyond the pale, you're stepping outside. Right. We've all been operating yes. that way this whole time. And now that we've stepped out, we're taking flack from our own people. If right. only because they haven't been out of the cave yet and they don't they don't realize, right? Oh. Like it, it's uh Yeah, so I think this this had to happen in a way. But what'll be interesting to me is to see as people continue to examine what's happened here and to measure it against scripture, will this hold? Will will we continue to operate as though Christ is Lord over all things? Right. Will we continue to examine our circumstances and call out other injustices, right? Like it's right. I'm I'm hopeful that yeah. that'll happen, but yeah. I think it'll it'll lead to continued divisions in the church along these lines. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think their trajectory of the church in the West has definitely been enamored or maybe duped or maybe just ignorant about how much uh, the government shouldn't be in certain places. Uh, I, I know even just for myself, like, you know, you, over the last 15 months, I've had to examine my own convictions about this and then go back to the scriptures again and say, okay, look at what... What are actually are the God-given sphere? Mm-hmm. Where's the limit of the sphere that God has given to the government? Where does it actually stop? And then trying to delineate between what my Canadian assumptions are, being in a very socialized country, unlike my American brother here, but, you know, right? And, We're wearing his Canada shirt. <laughs> <laughs> But, but but looking at that and then and then seeing oh wait a minute but this assumption that I've had is Canadian it is not Christian mm-hmm. it is not derived from a biblical worldview and then seeing that oh my goodness like we're actually like Leviathan's tentacles as it were are already wrapped around all of society where they don't belong uh, and we've just become accustomed or acclimatized to that we've been become accustomed to those chains but I think the idea that. It, you know, when you start talking to a Canadian Christian audience about, um, let's say, uh, the proposition that to forbid more than God forbids is tyranny, mm. or to permit more than God permits is, is vice, is, mm-hmm. is injustice in the other direction, I think most Canadian Christians would cringe at those statements like, well, that's a little extreme, right? Yeah. Like, that's, you know, American. You know, and think about here... 
Sorry. Education, right? <laughs> our, we we have totally entrusted okay. our children to the state for education. Most of us, right? I yeah. mean, that's a journey I've been on, and, and you as well, right? With homeschooling, and right. and you guys have been on that that track for a long time still. Right. But but even that comes from an assumption that is completely Canadian, because right. that's just what we've done all the time mm-hmm. in our context. But go on. And healthcare, same thing, right? And that's the one that's really biting <laughs> us in the rear end right now, isn't it? It's, that's that's what's being held over everyone's heads is. Well, the, the healthcare system, right? That we are our healthcare system that's always just operating, you know, on the verge of of being overrun because it's it's a rationed system, as as all socialized programs are. Ooh, um, that's good critique. We're we're now in a situation where this there's an indefinite threat hanging over our head because the healthcare is always going to be on the system is always going to be on the verge of Collapse. being overrun, right? Wow. So any any event like this could put us in that position and people have to decide whether Christians have to decide whether that's sufficient cause to relinquish the governance of the church to the local magistrates. Mm. Well, I mean, that's the thing when the guy says, if the authorities were asking us to deny our faith or to go against the principles of scripture, I mean, that's easy to say and then not use any example from scripture for, to support his side. Right. 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 You're like, I mean, we, we could go through all kinds of principles. I mean, I got a whole list here. Give like, us a couple. Give even us just a couple like for the sake of our listeners. The the idea of uh, they're not asking us to deny our faith. Well, if the over the past year of, with restrictions, if a Christian has had to lose their job, forego a certain amount of income, you know, First Timothy five eight says if if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith. And is worse than an unbeliever. Now, is the Christian himself looking for that? No, but that's the government tempting him to do that very thing, right? Well, just sit at home for a while, right? Maybe collect a few CERB checks until, you know, maybe the spirit convicts him to get off his, you know, butt right. and go look for a job. But I mean, that's not the Christian looking to do that. That's that's the government putting that, um, putting him in that position. Right. And I mean, the, the amount of... Um, commandments if we go by you know god's law as the summary in the ten commandments when the government says the church is non-essential they're breaking the first and the second commandment explicitly when the government tells us as christians not to meet together not to sing to the lord not to function as the church they're tempting us to break the third commandment by taking the name of the lord god in vain right if we bear the name christian and don't operate according to what God has said a Christian is, Mm. but we're taking his name in vain, right? Mm. You know, if the government tells us to stay away from our family and our friends, especially the older ones, right? Because that's that's the most at risk. Well, then they're telling us to dishonor our our parents Mm. and thus break in the fifth. You know, like we could go through all of them. When the the government forces businesses to close or limit their productivity and then lock churches and fence them off, well, what is that? That's theft. Mm. They're stealing and thus breaking... The eighth commandment, mm. you know, like uh, the idea of those a, are good reasons. A guy saying, yeah. you know, there's nothing in scripture yeah. that this goes against. It's like, what? Well, he's not reading his Bible. Right. I don't get it. Right. Well, he makes an accusation that the church is being blasphemous. Right. Well, he's pr- pretty serious. Huh? Yeah. yeah you know, so. allegation. Let's break that down. How? Uh, well, yeah. Let's give it the most charitable yeah. reading possible. Absolutely. Like, what? What is the most charitable? <laughs> reading we can give of that allegation in in what way 
That's a great question. Uh, in what way is in what way are James Tim oh, what is blasphemy and Arthur? Oh, that's a good question. Attributing to God things that attributing to man things that are of God. Sure. And attributing to God things that God hasn't said or done. That's right. Mm-hmm. Attributing evil to God. Mm-hmm. So how is this blasphemy? By saying that what God has commanded is evil. Well, yeah, Paul says it right in Romans 13, right? This is their whole argument. Past verse 2, you know, us meeting together must be, to hold that position, must be evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But no one actually wants to, you know, exegete past the first two verses. Right, of Romans 13. Right. Well, this is a great point because I've had this conversation with others as well and trying to point them out as, okay, listen, if, if the civil authority is God's avenger, to punish the evildoer, then you're on the horns of a dilemma here because God's commanded us Mm -hmm. to meet. And so now the magistrate's going to punish those who are gathering together. So that means what God has actually fundamentally commanded is in some way evil. Singing becomes evil because the magistrate has said it is. Singing becomes evil because the magistrate has said it is. Yeah, and so that right away goes, and I, I know we don't want to turn the whole podcast into a Romans 13 thing, but again, Romans 13 is as unqualified, right? Like it's just obey all the time. And clearly it's qualified and it's qualified by what is good and what is evil. And of course, what is good and what is evil is not what the magistrate determines what is good and what is evil. What is good and what is evil is according to God's law, his will, mm-hmm. his revealed will. Exactly. I mean, the very author of Romans 13 escaped the ruler of Damascus <laughs> in a basket through the wall. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> so clearly that's not what it means. <laughs> or he's a hypocrite. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or worse, yeah. blaspheming God. Or blaspheming God. Yeah. Right. Well, I think you have to understand the, the, the church, at least at least here in North America, this this has been going on, and it's it's really death in the church by like a thousand cuts. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to think about when, when Israel is out in the desert and they they put up this golden calf. Like this wasn't something that all of a sudden came to them. <laughs> like this, this was 400 years of influence from a godless society um, that they, they allowed to be actually part of it. And, and you saw it right when they were leaving, but you definitely see it when they put up a golden calf. Right. right. Yeah. Well, technically they just threw in the gold and then out yeah. came. <laughs> out. That's true. <laughs> so, <laughs> oops. That wasn't our fault. And then they had to eat it. Later. Right. <laughs> Well, I think it, his, his accusation of blasphemy seems in some way tied to the idea that the public is offended. Right. And so what sets the standard for blasphemy is not God in heaven. Mm. It's someone doesn't like what you're doing. And then they might speak poorly about the church because they don't like what you're doing. Mm. Right. Well, and to take it one step further. But they might be blasphemy. So it's more like cultural blasphemy. Right. Yeah. I, I think to... To give it the the most fully charitable reading that that we can give, I think it's probably belief that that meeting is actually dangerous right. in, in the sense that those people who are gathering to worship are endangering not only themselves but the community. Right? I I think that's probably where he's getting that from, and that that's the evil that makes meeting in those circumstances blasphemous. So I think that's. But we we do have a problem with that, right? I mean, because the idea is, you're, well, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And even the commandment to the scripture says, who are we supposed to do well to first? 
Right. Now, sort of faith. The household of faith. Now, yeah. let's go back to the first church and its persecution. Mm. Now we're going to meet together, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a coliseum being ripped apart by animals. Mm-hmm. But we're going to meet together, and then you find yourself impaled and used as human torches. Like, if, if that's the standard that we're going to use, then we have to say that those guys were also wrong by, by propagating a faith that was going to get people killed. Right. Well, and right. I think somewhere in here we have to allow for... Um, who sent the virus? Mm-hmm. Right? Like who? China. Who sent... <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean. Oh, she said so this week. Yeah, basically I... a lab in China. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, who, you know, who appointed that China should send this virus to Amen. us, right? Amen. That, Amen. that it's, you know, the virus is not outside of the calculus, right? Ooh, that, um, that when Christians make the decision to gather in obedience to God for corporate worship and edification and all of those other things that we do when we're together. Um, and arguably that can only be done fully together. Right. We're not doing so at any real risk in the sense that neither the participants nor anyone they're connected to is any more likely in God's economy to die than they were already. Right. Um, and that's not, that's not, I don't think that's fatalist or, or I think that's, that's just, you know, that's where we're at. But if we think about the Walmarts that are still packed with people, the Costco's, the, right. all of these other things Airplanes. that the same society Airplanes. that Airplanes. he's worried about us endangering right. or offending right. are completely accepting of. And in fact, in many cases, probably those are the things that irritate them most that they're not allowed to do more of that. Right. If society has decided that it's comfortable with those with that level of risk have have we increased that risk appreciably and and if you were going to say that we we have or we are to what exactly are you pointing at because i know in the the court cases nobody's been able to adduce anything yet (laughs) so it's a big fat zero yeah but you're right and and then going back to what you're saying about the blasphemy issue the definition of blasphemy there seems to be some sort of importing of a cultural idol there where the great I must not be offended by anything because for anybody to have any offense is sort of like the greatest sin in our self-worshipping culture and yet blasphemy ultimately offends God right he's the chief uh, offendee is that the right word right so so that's interesting. So when we go back to this statement that he's making, and he's saying, obviously, he's saying that health restrictions placed upon us still allow us to worship God and follow all the essentials of our faith. Um, what I'm hearing, uh, the conclusions here is, well, that would be if only Christian faith could be uh, unbiblically narrowed to the individual. And it cannot be. Um, because we talk about uh, Christ building his church, which is essentially a community. And this charge of blasphemy that you picked up again, Russ talks about, again, saying something that is untrue about God or attributing to God evil. And clearly his commands are not evil. Mm -hmm. His commands are good. And his commands, as I've said several times before, I'm sure you guys have heard it said, but I'll say it again. None of his commands are mm, qualified by the level of risk involved to obey them. Right? Like even in Muslim countries, Christians are still commanded to be a witness for Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, they do that with wisdom and prudence, but the reality is is that they still do it. Why? Because they are following the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
One. Oh, uh, go ahead, Russ. Yeah. So there's an article from the Center for Disease Control about uh, epidemiologic evidence for airborne transmission of SARS-CoV-2 during church singing in Australia in 2020. Oh, very good. good. Evidence. And what they found was uh, uh, someone who sang in the choir had had COVID, and out of 508 people, they detected 12 secondary cases. Uh But this is used as an example of, to quote an article that I sent around earlier today, research out of Australia has demonstrated the elevated risk of COVID-19 transmission in places of worship. (laughs) 12 people. Uh, 508. 508. It doesn't say whether any of them were unbelievably sick or hospitalized or dead. Well, and more importantly, it also doesn't say whether, because we're looking at relative, right? Well, relative to what? Well, what about the the person who goes to school with COVID or the person who goes to work with COVID or the person who goes to any of the other things that we're still permitted to do right now with COVID. Is it that, cause that's the evidence that I've yet to see. Right. Is anything to demonstrate that in relative or, I mean, certainly not absolute terms, because right. if you look at some of the court cases that have gone forward to date, the numbers are laughably small, right? <laughs> like I think in BC at one point, you know, they, they were saying like out of the 96,000 <clears> cases, positive PCR test cases that they had, you know, they, they were dealing with a hundred related to religious gatherings and related to religious gatherings includes funerals include you know, like all kinds of things. So I just, I, I don't know that you can credibly say that the religious gatherings have proven in any country anywhere to be an elevated risk right. of anything. Right. What he seems to be saying is that what we do as a gathered church is not important enough to continue in these circumstances. Yeah, that's that's a, a nasty conclusion to me. Well, even then, all the all the all the evidence comes down to your interpretation of the evidence, right? So mm-hmm. someone, the culture hears that, and like, oh my goodness, of course they shouldn't be singing in church. Mm-hmm. Well, but based on my research, it's they're loving their neighbor by singing in the church. None. One, not just because they're given a witness and they're worshiping the Lord, which is good for their neighbor, mm-hmm. but they are also, there's no way to escape a virus. Lockdowns don't know, don't work. There's been absolutely no evidence to suggest that they do. We've had quite a bit now. And we all, the end game is herd immunity. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? How do we reach herd immunity? Not with a vaccine. Mm-hmm but through the natural exposure of the virus. Mm -hmm. So they're giving the virus and our body, the Lord made our body to um, deal with the virus and, and we got to go on. But the longer we, the longer we take to actually get out there and be exposed to all the viruses that we're going to get exposed to, Mm -hmm. the weaker our system is and the stronger the virus gets by mutating and being under, under pressure. But gotcha. Okay. So let's get back to this quote then, because we want to answer this question. Are these guys obeying Jesus? And Matheson's saying that, well, if the authorities were asking us to deny our faith or go against the principles of Scripture, we're saying fundamentally, yeah, there are principles of Scripture that are being run roughshod by the illegitimate authority of the state in this particular sphere. And so this is the case because Christianity isn't just simply about the individual, but it is about the community and obviously every other sphere of life. So... Well, I think even if we want to be unbelievably charitable... Mm -hmm. There's this thing that happens in theology or in the church where, like, is it possible to say, like, why can't James and 
Tim and Arter be living what they believe to be the principles of Scripture and the commandments of Christ. And this other man can say, I disagree. Right. But that's what they believe. Like, for some reason, this man has become the standard of what obedience looks like. Right. With, yeah, no argument to back it up. Okay, fair enough. I thought this was one more uh, interesting statement because uh, as we're answering this question, are they obeying Jesus? I, I thought this would be worthwhile. He suggested that our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the world would not call what's happening here in Canada persecution. Now, I found that statement really interesting because... It's about as relativistic as, as you can like it get. Really like a man can treat his wife rather poorly and then point to the next door neighbor who beats his wife on a regular basis and say, I don't beat you like he beats his wife. So right. well, we're doing fine. Right. So so you hit a couple things. So number one, there's the assumption of what persecution is. And it has to be like the overt... Gun to, ext- gun to your head, deny Jesus right now. Yeah, the most extreme form of persecution. I don't see that. Uh, as a as a good definition, I, I think persecution is more of a spectrum where you start off at low-grade persecution, which is any encumbrance to the gospel message or the ministry and mission of the church, to all the way to uh, level 10 persecution, which is in the lion's den, right? So the other thing is, is that I, I, this is just anecdotal, but it's worth saying uh, because we do have brothers from countries where persecution is overt, and what I find is really interesting in talking to them is that they see this from a mile away. They understand, of course, this is what governments do. This is what government, how governments uh, misappropriate their authority and get in the way of Christ and his kingdom. Like, they can see this for what it is. So what comments do you guys have to offer on that, I think? Matheson assumes that the church in other parts of the world holds the gathered church as lightly as he does. <laughs> well, I mean, like, because it is, you know, that's, how do you say that, well, surely they would just stay home and do just as I'm doing. I mean, that's convenient, but yeah. it, I don't know that there's any evidence to, to support that. Like, do we see that anywhere? Do we see the church stop gathering no. in other parts of the world because the government tells them not to? No. I, I haven't heard of any of that. No. So it, it, I think that's, you know, that's a convenient statement, but it's a self-serving statement. Right. I mean, totally, because he's not on you know, a conference call with all the brothers that are being persecuted right now in different ways from around the world saying, so what do you think? You know, like, help us determine this. You know, like, it's, just a, it's a sad thing when you have a, a pastor not using the Bible mm-hmm. for arguments. Right. Because who cares? I mean, what do you, what's different than an argument coming from the world? Right. Like, thank you. I'll, I'll take that and I'll put it in my opinion box. Right. And, you know, but, you know, you're not going to give me anything absolute yes. unless you open up God's word and tell me that. Yes. You know. Yes. Well, that points to a bigger problem, I think, in Western Christianity in general is you have this uh, dissolving of the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. You know, the, the Scripture sort of becomes a reference tool rather than, you know, the rule for faith and practice. Mm-hmm. And and that's a subtle change, but it seems to happen more and more and more and more and more. And, and, and you get it like this. Now, again, to be charitable to Matheson, you know, maybe if we would sit down with a guy and have a conversation, maybe he would bring out some uh, more robust uh, arguments. Because I think in this article, he was just being quoted anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, maybe he's got more. What, what denomination is he from? Christian Missionary Alliance. Okay, so there you go. Alliance guy. So, so maybe he's got more there. 
but but I do find his talking points to be the common misunderstandings of the last 15 months, right? That, you know, uh, anybody who is disobeying the authorities is somehow disobeying God. And so right away, there's an assumption that any disobedience to an authority is disobedience to God. And you're conflating the obedience of the, or sorry, obedience to the state with obedience to God. Because mm-hmm. we know this from scripture that that does not happen mm-hmm. on every page of the Bible. So are these guys, are Tim Stevens, James Coates, and Arthur Pulowski, are they actually obeying Jesus? Yes. Yes. Jesus is happy with them. Right. Go ahead. Tim. But back it up, because well, then you're going to be guilty of the same thing. <laughs> I, th- I think one of the biggest problems is that we, you know, the, the church. And I, I say that you know lightly, but it, it seems like it's we've gotten to a place that we we more in allow culture to exegete the scripture than the scripture to exegete the culture. Ooh, and so we can we can sit in front of somebody and say these types of things because we're allowing what's going on in the culture to determine how we exegete the scripture and then apply it. And so, so then you got you got a guy who's again been in the faith forever, and we're trying. I know we want to be really charitable uh, here, but but the reality is is that we've we've lost, we've actually lost. It, it's kind of like um, professing faith but denying its power, mm. because we have we have the scripture, we have exactly what it says, and we and we choose to either misapply it or reapply it or not apply it at all based on what the culture around us thinks about that particular scripture. Right. The culture's got a big C on it. Yeah. So, so I mean, that really, that, that is our, her- the culture is our hermeneutic, mm. is, is, I think is one of the biggest problems. Why we can look at these guys and say they're being unfaithful, where if we were to actually just look at the scripture and see what it says, well, then I think they're being faithful. They're, they're right. obeying Jesus and what he says. So what about this? Is there, is there any circumstance that we can think of in which Matheson would be right? Which, which is to say, is there any circumstance in which we can think of mm-hmm. that, that the church ought not to gather at the direction of the, the state? Of the oh, civil authorities? the falsifiable test. I like this. Yeah, that's good. No. Well, hold on a second. Never. A second. So, there's, uh, so Seth's saying, no, no, never. There's not one. Okay, so it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> but to bring up the quote that uh, you know again is not scripture, but I think it's a good point for tradition's sake. I think it was uh, it was Baxter, one of the Puritan guys. Yeah, yeah, where he said, you know, uh, the magistrate can uh, limit the gathering for a time, given exceptional circumstances, mm-hmm. war, famine, plague. However, it, it can't be profane. In other words, it cannot be. Uh, targeted against the church alone because then you get to see oh 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 no 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 this is not for everybody this is clearly either a arbitrary or maybe something much worse mm-hmm. right and that has actually been the argument from several colleagues out east is that well you know this is not profane because everybody's got to deal with restrictions the whole entire culture has had restrictions placed upon it. But as you brought up the example before, Ben, where, you know, you got a Costco with 300 people in it, and then you've got a uh, auditorium, a Christian auditorium beside it that can literally see 2,000 people with only 15 people inside? <laughs> That's profane. Now, it could be profane by a godless government's ignorance. It can be profane by maybe a godless government's indifference. 
or it could be profaned by something more nefarious. But the reality is, it's still profane. So in that case, I would say no, like you. So I would agree with that because it's profane. Yeah, I, so my, so no, I would say, <laughs> but, but if the government, if the government came to the church, like, so I, I completely disagree that the, that the government has any authority to say, church, you can't meet. And then they say, uh, here are the reasons why. The church has all the authority in the world to say, whoa, 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 wait a second. No, are you Jesus? No, you're not. So we're going to do whatever we do. So, but I think the government, if they're wise, they would go to the church during a crisis and they would say, hey, listen up. We're, we're in the middle of a war. We have to go to war. Right. So here's the situation. And then I think, you know, through the leaders in the church, they would say, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and yeah. They, they'd inform their congregation and mm-hmm. say, you know what? But it would be, it would be a conversation. They wouldn't be, yeah. you know, with their boots saying, listen up. We're the, we're the government. You're the church. You listen to us. Right. Well, Ben, you should speak to this about the idea of the whole religious freedom thing. Anyway, I think we talked about that in the in podcast before where governments in the past, because of a Judeo-Christian framework, understood that the sphere of the church and the sphere of the state go side by side. Right. Well, I think not that one over the other. Where we're at right now, the government understands itself. And sometimes you get, you know, even in the case law, you get statements to the contrary. But I think generally speaking in practice, we see that the state understands itself as the ultimate authority. Right. Right. That, you know, it, it makes space for the religious actors to operate with their various gods. Yes. Right. But, but ultimately the state's yes. the boss as Caesar did. Whereas in the past when Canada and other Western nations were still operating under what we might call the, the Christian consensus mm-hmm. in the sense that there, there is a God and that God is in charge of everything. Then I think you would have had more respect, not only for the church, but also the family. Mm-hmm. Right. And even to probably a lesser extent, things like trades guilds mm-hmm. and universities and things that, the government understood its its limitation, right? Mm-hmm. That that there were areas that the government was not to. Now, if you go back even further, well, then it's absolutism and, and all that. But I'm talking about sort of the the modern Western yeah. tradition, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. of limited government, and yeah. that the church in particular. And this is actually on the the leading authority, uh, Big M Drug Mart on religious freedom in Canada talks about how religious freedom and the fundamental freedoms generally, so freedom of expression, freedom of religion, freedom of peaceful assembly, freedom of association, that these come out of the, the wars in Europe, the, the Christian church states, right? Where um, at, at the heart of it was the state dictating worship, right? Mm-hmm. This is how you will worship. The prince decides according right. to his personal denominational commitment, this is how right. the Dutch will worship. This is how the right. French will worship. And our political tradition, the, the, at least the, the ancestral roots of our current political tradition, recognize that people will die for that stuff, right? right, right, right. So civil order right. um, is dependent upon freedom in those areas, right? right? The freedom to speak one's mind, the freedom to believe and worship as one uh, believes and worships, and you know, the freedom to associate with those with whom one wishes to associate, and the freedom to assemble peaceably with others right but now we've got to a place where uh it's almost as though you see this in the the current covid cases that the courts are unable to understand that there are for there are people who believe they must gather to worship 
that they're going to do that no matter what. Right. Um, because there isn't ostensibly any reason that they shouldn't since they're still allowed to go to Walmart and right. Costco and these other things. Right. And, and I think that's a problem that right. you've now got a, a state and a majority culture that can't, that's unintelligible to them. Yeah. So no, it's crazy. It's crazy yeah. talk. The same people who it's unintelligible to complain about the government rather than just going, well, it's the government. <laughs> they have ultimate authority. Right, so, right, right. you know, they, why do they complain when Kenny makes decisions about funding? Well, he's the government. Right. He's right. got ultimate authority. Oh, there's a little bit of a double standard. Yeah, so there. they're rather hypocritical, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. because yeah, that's not to say that people... I, I don't think people recognize authority in the proper sense yeah. hardly at all, right? They recognize power. They recognize that if, at, at the end of the day, if I don't do what the government tells me, somebody with a gun's going to show up here right. and make sure I do it or haul me off, right? right. So th- I think that's, you know, we can see, we can make those connections and we don't make them explicitly every time we say it, but we pay our taxes. We do what we're told more or less. And, and if somebody shakes a finger at us, uh, we're generally going to stop what we're doing and, and move along because we know that the guys with the guns are never too far away. Right. So we're under duress. Power. Yeah. This. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So we talked about who these guys are. We are clearly uh, coming to the conclusion that these guys are obeying Jesus, but they've ended up in jail. So I, I think this they stand in a good tradition. So who could you guys think of who also ended up in jail for Jesus? Can I have one more thing? Sorry. Oh, yes, please, 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 please. please. Uh, so I think they're being obedient, obviously, to, to Christ. But I think that those who don't uh, follow in their footsteps, not in the sense of like trying to get jailed, but who aren't preaching the same message and are not, not every sermon, but aren't addressing to the congregation the dilemma right now and the evils of the government, right. I think that they're in sin. So, you know, Ephesians 5, 8 to 11 says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, Mm. trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So nothing is neutral. Right. We all agree that. Which means that all of us in this room right now are saying, this is evil what the government is doing and has right. been doing over the last, yes. you know, let's, you know, we, we, we gave them the benefit of the doubt for the first two weeks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but so we know that they're, they're evil now. Yes. And so if we're, if we're going to be children of the light, right. we need to expose what is not of righteousness and truth and goodness. Yes. And so, you know, on the contrary, this brother, but Matheson, if he's yeah. not, Opening up his mouth, you know, obviously he's not because he's rebuking brothers in the Lord right. f- for exposing deeds of darkness. Right, right, right. But that's not nice, though, Seth. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, through a secular newspaper, no less, right? Like, I, I challenge you to look through the Calgary Herald archives and, and find some, you know, endearing commentary towards Orthodox Christianity. And I... I I mean, I, 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 I'm open it's to being corrected, years, so but, I, but I suspect it's been a while before <laughs> uh, since there's been anything, you know, about biblical Christianity cast in a positive light. Yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised that Matheson was given an op-ed by sure. James Coates wasn't. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. let's pray for that. 
But, but getting back to your, your saying, though, you know, this, this nothing's neutral. And again, I, I think that is one of the common mistakes that the Canadian saint makes, that there is a myth of neutrality out there. I know we've talked about this on other podcasts, but it's a dangerous myth. And it's a dangerous myth because it actually divorces itself from a biblical worldview. Mm. Like th- there's only the kingdom of heaven and then there's the other kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And so, yeah, again, people might be ignorant about it. Uh, they might be uh, disinterested, but no, n- there's nothing really truly neutral out there. But as you were talking about Ephesians and we talk about, you know, children of light that, you know, are standing for truth and that which is good and right and just and righteous, that automatically puts you on the offensive side and being offensive makes you not nice, which makes you bad. So this idea, and I don't know if this is Matheson's idea, but whoever out there who thinks that Jesus was always gentle just has not read their Bible well. I can't imagine King Jesus being gentle when he's going after the religious elite, calling them whitewashed tombs, or let's put a real fine point on it, sons of the devil, their father. So, look... Where's that Jesus in the Canadian Christian worldview? Like, where is he? Well, but, but the response is that that Jesus is perfectly holy. Right. And so he can do that in a perfectly holy way. Right. And you can't, and you can't, and you can't, and you can't, and I can't. Got it. So what about the Apostle Paul then, who says, I wish these guys would just go all the way, these circumcising parties, and cut the whole mm-hmm. thing off? You know, like... We've got to. Well, he was an apostle, and it goes, you know, continues, right? So, like, when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, well, he was the guest, the last guy that could have said that. Mm. Except for Hebrews 13, (laughs) where he says, those guys who have actually lived their faith before you imitate their faith, too. Mm. Hey, thanks for that one. That's a good one. I think think there's, I, I think the one thing that our brothers should be an inspiration to us for is the fact that they're not safe men, and Jesus wasn't either. Amen. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was Doug Wilson. He said. He said, "Careful men uh, write about men who aren't safe." Mm-hmm. He calls them faithful men. He mm-hmm. says, "Careful men write about faithful men and about and laud their faithfulness." Right. Because they didn't participate. Another guy I read this week. He said that he calls them safe men. He said safe men essentially do the same thing, but they they catalog the works of good men, uh. which he calls faithful men. Mm-hmm. Because they're still alive. Mm. And so these are men who who stood up, strong men, men of the faith, right. unsafe men, who who stood up for um, the conviction by the Spirit of God and the Word of God for Jesus. Amen. You know, and I, I think that you're talking about these safe or these nice guys. Mm. Like, the church doesn't need more nice men. Mm. Uh, apart from what a lot of evangelicalism is saying, mm. we, we need more faithful or good men. Amen. Um, who who are going to live not as safe men, but as faithful men. Amen. Well, and how much of the, you know, how much of our, our corporate sin as the Western church comes as a direct consequence of our prioritization of what is nice over what is good? Right. Yeah. Um, well, there's that culture coming in again. Right. right. So, for example, church discipline. We don't do that because that's not nice. Right. We Make people uncomfortable. Right. Um, think about... How many husbands maybe don't don't want to say anything 
uh, to their wife, even when they ought to, because it's not nice, right? Mm-hmm. Or how many uh, parents don't want to discipline their children because that's not nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Or I mean, and on and on and on. So I think, you know, nice is dangerous, right? Like yeah. because nice is rarely these days, at least, coinciding with faithful and obedient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So listen, listen to this guy wrote. He said, safe men catalog the works of good men because they live to tell the story. Yet safe men are those who are often cannot do, sorry, necessary work of good men. And he says, the distinction that I'm drawing here is that safe men tend to gravitate towards safe activities. Mm. And this is what got me. He says, everything is method- methodically planned out. Everything is hedged with simple matters of discernment or principles of wisdom in all they do. There are no risks, and therefore they reap no large rewards. Safe men play the game well, seldom making waves because they are malleable to the people around them when it suits them best. Mm. Christianity does not need safe men. They need bold men, good men, who on account of their goodness are intrinsically bold. Amen. Mm. And I would add to that that they usually end up in jail. Yeah. Not that I want to go there, but the reality is they usually end up in jail. This is, we, we talked about it already, but, uh, you know, where, where John the Baptist gets thrown in jail. And the thing that hit me about that story, that account in Matthew 14, 4, was John the Baptist did not get thrown in jail for talking about the coming Messiah. Mm. He got thrown in jail. Because he called out a governing official's sin publicly. And then he lost his head because that governing official's wife, do we call her that? I guess, Herodias. Yeah, his uh, brother's wife. Yeah, hated him so much that she wanted his head on a platter. And so here we go. We've got the greatest man born of women, obviously, before kingdom came, who was in jail because he called out unrighteousness publicly, not because he was saying there's somebody greater than I coming. Isn't that interesting? And I think we need to take a lesson from that because it's like usually when we have courageous men, faithful men who get into hot water, it's because they are standing in righteousness out of obedience and fealty and allegiance to Christ who is their ultimate king, but that gets them in hot water with a culture that does not recognize that authority, does not have that allegiance, quite frankly, hates it. And and I think we see that in Tim Stevens. I think we see that in James Coase. I think we see that in Harder Pulowski. Well, I just want to, you, you asked about sort of people in history. Oh, yeah, yeah. Church history is full of, like, if you think about the, during the British Reformation, there was all kinds of men who, went to jail for gathering right and were put there by the christian religious authorities exactly bunyan. right yeah bunyan um and you think about in france the same thing um, the huguenots the same thing so i think history is full of this and so then maybe we have to ask ourselves why these people bunyan was in jail for a long time yeah why were we willing to, why were they willing to continue to meet? What is it that they knew that we don't? Mm. Um, you know, I think that, uh, I think that it was essential for them. And they yeah. were in a culture that the people who were putting them in jail agreed with them that Jesus was 
The Son of God had been risen from the dead, but you can't gather because this person wasn't trained at this school. Mm. Yeah, they couldn't. They, they were still allowed to worship at the Anglican Church. Yeah. Right? right? The Church of England. Yeah. Oh, it's bringing a word here. Got a word. You know what reminds me? You know, the devil has perfect theology, but he does not obey Christ. Read in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, we know that word lawlessness there is not talking about the law of Caesar. It is talking about the law of Christ. Yeah. And, and so the will of the Father uh, is that no one but Jesus should have authority over his own bride. Right? Second mm-hmm. Timothy 3, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? So, you know, the real concern is, you know, you'd have to reflect on your life and are you, have you been persecuted in any way? Mm. And if not, why? As a Christian, you desire to live a godly, to live godly in Christ Jesus. It says you will be persecuted. And so we see from scripture, you know, you don't have to die, but death, you know, beatings, imprisoning, but also insults, slander, slander is persecution, malignment. And so that, if that never happens to you, you know, that's more, way more concerning than actually being thrown in jail for meeting with the church. Mm. Well, the article I sent around earlier today, uh, he talks about theology is an afterthought. Theology only appears in Grace Life's argument to support their financial and political positions. <laughs> <laughs> They argue that health regulations prevent members... So so he says financial and political. They argue that public health regulations prevent members from taking part in the Great Commission. In other words, it inhibits their ability to evangelize. Now, what is he saying? It's all about the money. Evangelism is... But that's the slander that we're talking about. This person Mm. is slandering that church. He's slandering those people. And Mm. so I I sometimes think when, when pastors... You know, you have these three men who have been jailed... And other other pastors go, are struggling in the midst of this. And the pastor who's like, everything's great. You know, evangelicals have this stupid phrase that uh, God will give you more than you can handle. Right. And so, you know, I, you have to think to yourself, if God looks at Tim Stevens and Pastor Coates and Arthur Pulaski and says, those men can handle jail and this guy can handle, you know, br- brunch. <laughs> what does that say about that guy? Ouch. And maybe he should be be ashamed. Over and above that, I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, what do what do these three brothers really have to gain? Did they gain financially? Would you say so? Especially well, in this article James, here, it says that uh, there was a GoFundMe right. that had raised about forty five thousand right. dollars for Pastor Coates's legal fund. I think you have to look at underneath, though, why a guy would go to a media source like this is that he he wasn't really writing that to the church. Exactly, he was writing that to a people he was hoping would look at those people and understand that's not us. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Well, what's what's actually worse is he didn't write it. Someone came and asked him for comment on it. Yes. Mm. If he had written it, he could have at least shaped 
what it is he intended to say. Right. There's something unwise about saying to someone, oh, yeah, I'll talk to you for 30 minutes and you'll take five sentences from what I say yeah. to make your point. Like That's f- fundamentally unwise. Yeah. Well, I was in ministry. I received phone calls from people in the media asking if I could comment on something, and I said no. Well, and this goes to the, the, the point of, you know, they didn't go to James or Tim or Arthur and, and ask them, uh, to provide an op-ed of the of this length, presumably, and weigh them out side by side so that people could compare and contrast or anything like that. Like they they were looking for this guy's opinion or somebody who would say what he said. I'm sure they didn't pick sure. him at random. Sure. Yeah, there might have been a vetting process there. So, why this matters? I think it matters because if we get confused at who has authority over the church, if we get that wrong. Um, we could actually end up being the ones who are blaspheming and doing harm to the name of Jesus. And we could inadvertently find ourselves allowing the blood-bought bride of Christ to be manhandled by the state. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I definitely don't want to be that individual. Um, it was quoted in the article or stated in the article that there's 3,200 churches in the province and that most of them have uh, abided by the mandates. And, uh, and I thought to myself, well, that's an interesting statistic. You know, 3,200, great majority have shut their doors, gone online, done whatever. And so I think the cultural narrative picks that up and says, well, look at like, what's wrong with you outliers? You guys are clearly crazy. Mm-hmm. Narrows the gate and fewer they that find it. Right. <laughs> well, you hit it right there, brother. I mean, that's the idea. It's like, since when in the history of scripture is the majority, the ones that are marching in faithfulness? Mm-hmm. Usually it's not. Now, I understand that there's obviously qualifications there. Sure. Well, and it's not always, not every, I guess one of the, the rules that I go to in, in dealing with difficult situations is um, when you see church voices lining up with the culture on yeah. almost anything, yeah. that should be a cause. Red flag, red flag. Yeah, a cause for pause, right? Danger, Will Robinson. You know, there are churches that say what the culture says on sexuality. There are churches that say what the culture says on um, gender roles, you know, complementarian and egalitarian issues. And, you know, like there's, there are all kinds of things, but it seems to me that at least in late modern history, when I look at all the instances in which a church or a denomination went with what the culture was already saying, well, you know, we have the, the United, Holocaust? Yeah. <laughs> there, it never ends well, right? Amen. For that church or for the culture that absorbed it. Amen. Amen. Any other general and final thoughts before we close our time together? I think, I think it's important to watch these guys and, again, to see the outcome of their faith mm. in order to emulate that, um, as we're told to in Hebrews. But I, I, think, I think it's also something to say that Christians need to count the cost. Mm. If they're going to say they're going to follow Jesus, and we can do it in a nice way in a nice society, but when things start to get quote-unquote real, mm. have we really counted the cost? Are we really ready for, for that? And I think, I think Hebrews, uh, you know, in Hebrews 13, he's talking about this, um, this, this, ca- this cow, this sacrifice that was 
uh, and starting in verse 9 and Hebrews 13, the sacrifice that was sacrificed and the body itself could not be burned inside um, mm-hmm. with the altar, but had to be burned outside the camp. And then there's this strange, strange sentence in here. It says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Mm-hmm. And then he says, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Mm. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that's to come. Amen. And so we have to first understand that, like, and they go back to the golden calf incident where Moses himself, after the golden calf incident, sets his tent outside, um, outside the camp. And, and it's called the tent of testimony. And so anyone, and this is, this is, this is a, the Septuagint version of it, but it says anyone um, who sought the Lord would go outside the tent outside to the tent, which was outside the camp. And so you have, you have Jesus also then. So, so here we have God was rejected inside the camp. Then we have Jesus also rejected inside his, his people came to his own and they would not receive him. And, and now I think even those who are faithful are, are inside the camp are going to be rejected. And so there's this, there's this, this instruction from Hebrews is, therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. So, so when we follow Jesus, and I think, I think any, any believer has to come to this, that when we follow Jesus, it's not going to be popular both outside the camp and inside the camp. So, yeah. so those people that are, um, that are absolutely out of the kingdom, it's not going to be popular among them. And those people who are inside the camp, we're going to find these situations like we're seeing and discussing now, that it's also not popular. And that we, we have to be willing then to bear that reproach. And that's why I'm thankful for our brothers who were willing yeah. in this uh, maybe smaller context to, to bear that reproach. And so believers, this is important, I think, specifically because believers have to say, did, did I count the cost? Like, is it really worth it to follow Jesus if it means that I'm going to get a fine? Is it really worth it to follow Jesus if it means that it's to the disdain of my neighbor? Mm-hmm. Is it really worth it to follow Jesus if it means jail time? And et cetera, et cetera. Is and it think, really worth it? And I think that's one of the that's one of the things why discussing this is important uh, and, and discipling with, with our people this is because we have to, Jesus said, like, like you have to count the cost. Mm-hmm. Amen. And, and so... And these, these brothers obviously did. Um, we didn't know, you know, a year ago that that's what it would mean in, the, in this context. But I think for the church, and we talked about the nice church for the most part, I think that, that this, I, this nice, the, this, this theology of niceness that's in the church, it's, it's, causing, it's causing us to be more of a disdain, um, less of light uh, to our culture around us than anything, because we're not standing up. Mm. We're not, we're not, we're not actually being a, a, a city that's on a hill. Mm. We're actually just a house with the rest of the city mm. in this case. And I think all the darkness that's around us, we're just with it and, and we're just fine with it, mm. which, which I think brings dishonor to Jesus. And contrary to what our other um, article, the right guy that wrote the article said, it's actually blasphemy. Mm. Amen. I like what you said there about that theme of going out. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I wonder if he didn't register in time for church. <laughs> if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And, you know, the reality there is that it's actually written to a church. And you got Jesus locked out of church for their lukewarmness. 
Mm-hmm. Well, there's a phrase that uh, evangelicals love. Uh, someone accepts Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. They said the prayer, and they accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And what that means is that Jesus sits on a little throne <laughs> on, top, on top of your heart. Well, he's in the hole, in yeah. the God-shaped right, hole. Right, the God-shaped hole, and he sits on this throne. And I think that, you know, it, so there was, that, that, that phrase maybe meant something significant for a time. Yeah. But it's undercut where it's undercut our position now because, in fact... I hope they accepted Jesus as more than just, you know, being able to sit on a little throne in their heart. A little throne Jesus. That he's, in fact, the king of the universe. Amen. And, but, but if he is just your personal Lord and Savior, then what matters is your personal faith mm-hmm. and the personal things that you do. And you can do that through Zoom. Mm-hmm. And you can do that with a Bible and a nice cup of coffee yes. on a Sunday morning. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, But if he's the king he's of the, the universe. Instagram filter. Right? Yes. If he's the king of the universe. Uh, and you've accepted him as that. Yeah. But see, that's a good point because that comes back to that truncated individual mm-hmm. faith where, yeah, he's little throne Jesus. And so why would you think he's universe throne Jesus? Yeah. Right? Well, this is what I think. I think it might be Joe Boot that uses the phrase, the, the ecclesiasticizing of the Bible, right? Uh-huh. That, that Christians in this part of the world often... Uh, behave as though the Bible doesn't apply to people outside of the church, mm. right? As oh, though, that's a good one, right? Like a, you know, like that's why we don't we don't use the Bible when we're talking about why something's right or wrong. We have to right. translate it and this and that instead of just saying "Thus says the Lord," right? But I think part of why we're in the situation we're in right now is is because of exactly that because we've somehow as a church culture accepted this idea that. That the, the written word of God that we have in the canon is not applicable to everyday life, the everyday life of non-believers, the governments, the nation that we live in, right? When in fact, that's exactly what we've been put here to tell them, right? right? To go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? right? Teaching them to obey, right? right? Like that's, and, and that's what, that's what they'll kill us for, right? That's the part they'll kill us for. And that's, you know. Yeah, obedience. Well, praise God for that. So one final question, just to sum up our conversation. We know that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to God's purpose. So what good can come out of this? Do you guys think, generally speaking, I just want to hear from each one of you, what good can come out of three men of God going to jail for obeying Christ and assembling the church underneath his authority? What good do you think will come out of this? I think it is. Uh, Other than this podcast. Yeah. Oh. Right. <laughs> it has awakened much of the invisible church mm. and scattered much of the visible church. Mm. So, you know, it's it's refining the church. And so, you know, there will always be um, tares among the wheat until he comes. As much as, like, we want to see solid, pure churches... There's always going to be deceived um, individuals and wolves amongst her. This was a way of making that, you know, of of purifying her, I think, uh, a lot faster than uh, it would have taken. So we have the purification Mm -hmm. of the invisible church. Amen. I think this this situation and what these three brothers in particular, the, the very public way in which they paid for their obedience so far has 
given us all, us being the church, something, the, the confessing church, something to see, an example to see. And it's also unmasked the divide mm. between the majority culture, including the government mm. and the church of Christ. Amen. In the sense that they will lock you up for worshiping God if you don't do it the way that they've told you to do it. That's right. No, that should not escape anybody's notice. Amen. And why does that matter? Well, I think that matters for some of the reasons that I stated earlier, that when it comes to questions like, you know, why do we sit back so quietly as millions of babies are slaughtered every year on this continent? Why do we um, ignore when, you know, the, the government continues to make laws that allow for the mutilation of children who are confused about their gender and, right. and all of these other things? Well, you know, why do we sit back and do that? Well, we do all of that because we don't believe that Christ is Lord of all. Right. Right. Or at least we don't live like we believe that. Right. Little throne and Jesus. so by... These brothers waking us up to that when it finally hit home inside the sanctuary walls, yeah. that's given us an opportunity that we can't turn back and we can't unsee that now. Amen. And so if we're saying that Christ is Lord of all, then we've got some work to do in applying that outside of the sanctuary just as vehemently as we are now trying to apply it in the sanctuary. And Amen. I think that's a good thing. Amen. I agree. Amen. That's very good. I think people will be drawn, some people will be drawn to faith through this. I've had mm. conversations with Muslim co-workers, uh, mm. a particular Muslim co-worker who's talked to me about the respect he has for Pastor Coates. Wow. And his willingness to stand up for what he believes. And, you know, and I think you're seeing it. The people wanted to attend Grace Life and, and that, what you know, I doubt Pastor Coates and the elders at the church thought, yes, more money, <laughs> as, as the man in this article, uh, this other article seems to say. You know, I think it was people wanted to worship. Right. And they couldn't. Right. And I think this church has seen people come, uh, leave other churches maybe, but they're leaving those churches because they realize there's something deficient. Yeah. There's something missing. Well, there's I mean, uh, and they're and they're coming to this church because of a position that is mostly clearly taken. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and 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 I think you're right there that the value of Christ in a way is reflected uniquely through that lens. Mm -hmm. And that in itself, you're right, is is a witness. Mm -hmm. It's winsome. They're sheep without a shepherd, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And so they they're not they're not lost. They were found, you know, the Lord opened up their eyes, but then their shepherd took off, right? It was almost as if a hireling was there. Yeah. And then, but they see a shepherd in the distance. Well, he's shepherding via Zoom. You're right. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. The digital cane. Yeah. Well, I think, thankfully, for, for our brothers, um, I think that there's, there's a sanctifying of them mm -hmm. that we can rejoice in, too. Amen. Um, James talked to this already. I, I heard a little bit about um, Tim talking about it too, but, uh, man, it solidifies a lot of things for you when you're in mm. solitary mm. and, and I think that God meant that for them. So, so that's a good yeah. thing. Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, when we, we work in godly wisdom, uh, which you can see these guys did, like they, they didn't, they didn't show up, you know, at the Capitol. They didn't, they didn't throw Maltov cocktails because they disagreed with what was going on. Right. They acted in, 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 in wisdom that's from above, which was pure 
and peaceable right. and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And that's what they did. Mm-hmm. And that was a good testimony mm-hmm. to the church. I mean, they were, they were men for that reason at that time. And mm-hmm. James says in chapter 3 and verse 18 that, that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. And so these guys, they're, they're saying, well, they're rebelling. How is that peace? Well, the reality is, is that when people are drawn to God, that's where ultimate peace is coming from. Because Amen. our ultimate battle as unbelievers is against the one who can destroy the body and the soul. Yeah. And so when those people are drawn to, um, to the Savior by men who are standing, who, who mean what they say, who are not safe men, but they're, they're men who, who are good and principled according to Scripture. Mm. You know, and these are guys that we can actually look to and emulate. Like, you can find any soft man um, who is going to be nice to talk to. But you find a guy who, who has stood for his faith, um, and you see the outcome of his faith, and they're people we can follow. And I think that, that gives an example to the church, and I pray God raises more of us. Yeah. Um, good, but not safe men. Yeah. And gives those brothers a, a greater infilling of his spirit, right? Which Amen. is, you know, Peter and John, after leaving the council, right? They were celebrating um, as they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. They were celebrating leaving the prison, right? After being beaten yeah. as well, right? And then what did the Lord do? You know, he was pleased with that. Amen. And he gave them more of his spirit so that they could go out and do the same work, right? And so, and this is what we see with these brothers. It's not like they're, they're even like going to Twitter or something and saying, oh, well, you know, I was, I was suffering and, you know, cursed government. You know, they continue to do their thing. What yeah. do they ultimately want? Yeah. They want to live quiet and godly lives, yeah. worshiping with, with their people, yeah. right? Leading their people. Yeah. No one wants, those guys don't want to be in the, in the spotlight. Oh, I know. You know? Well, I think one final thing too, that's really good about this is that, this isn't, you know, the trajectory that our governments are on in this country, locally, provincially, and, and federally, uh, is not to more restraint in in their interventions with the people's lives. So mm-hmm. certainly not with the church's lives. So one very good thing that's come of this particular episode is the raising of flags that mm-hmm. not just the three brothers who were publicly lambasted in prison for for their faithfulness, mm-hmm. but all of the many pastors and you yourself know who, who have been able to stand up and be left hanging in some cases by their congregations in some cases by their, you know, brothers in the, in the pastorate and so, you know, all, all kinds of things. These guys stood up, found out in some cases they were standing alone yeah. and then had a chance to look across the right. field and see the others who were standing too. Amen. So that when the next hard time comes, right. hopefully there are relationships that are being forged here Yes. Uh, you know, in, in Alberta, in other provinces, yeah. across the country, in Canada, yes. where men of the church who are good men, strong men, yes. bold men, yes. are going to know other good, strong, bold men and ex- encourage and exhort each other to faithfulness more and more as they seek to multiply that in their flocks. Amen. An alliance. Not the alliance, but an alliance. Brothers, this has been a joy. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak to this issue. I uh, I value you guys, and I'm just grateful for your input. Uh, so for our listeners, if you got any questions, feel free to email us at questions at fellowshipedmonton.com. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Fellowship Edmonton. And until next time, this is The Average Saint. Time.